I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, back on the mic in Cork, and I'm joined, as always, by Murray Kinsella of the 42, back up in Dublin. How are things, Murray? Oh, great, Gav. Delighted to have you back on board. How's your summering been? Have you been keeping well? I've been keeping extremely well, I have to say. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time down in West Cork. We were just chatting with our other guest as well, Bernard Jackman, about uh, the glorious Barley Cove Beach albeit in a pandemic maybe it's not quite ideal trying to squeeze around people uh, laying out towels and so on but uh, no it's been a marvellous summer and uh, I have to say I was looking forward to rugby coming back and it exceeded my expectations greatly uh, Bernard what did you make of it all the return uh, of well Interpros uh, over the weekend yeah I think the Irish teams um, deserve massive massive credit for um, the condition they came back in, um, it was really impressive, particularly the, 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 I think three of the four provinces looked in great shape physically. Um, Ulster, um, it's going to be really interesting to see were they just a little bit below par as Dan McFarland thought, which was down to complacency, or have they maybe mismanaged their, their physical prep um, and you know are going to hit the, hit the ground running a little bit late. But you know certainly Leinster, Munster, uh, Connacht, I, f- I thought it looked really powerful, uh, really match ready, which is incredible given the lack of um, of preseason friendlies. And uh, put on, yeah, you know, put on a really good display. And um, it was great to be back. Um, I know there was limited numbers there, but it just felt for me it was the start of of a hopefully a process of of getting back to some kind of normality. And uh, yeah, some great rugby played, and it was very privileged to be there. To be honest. Yeah, I was actually green with envy, I have to say, looking at you on, on Twitter. Uh, but as you say, just unbelievable to have it back and two fantastic games. Um, we've loads to talk about today. Murray, you've put out a, a call. What is it, a call to action? Is that what they're called? When, when you ask for uh, questions and they've been absolutely flooding in from people on Twitter. So I'm going to keep my eye on, a, eye on a few of those and I'll throw a few of them your way later on. But just to start with those two games, where did they uh, differ from your expectations, say, when you were chatting to Bernard on Thursday, Murray, or, or what you would have expected, generally speaking, like, were they better than you thought they would be? And just give us your kind of overall take on them, I suppose, beginning with the first one between Leinster and Munster. Yeah, I couldn't get over the, the quality of them. I mean, we've certainly seen better rugby games, obviously. They're, they're not all-time classics, but I think myself and Bernard had discussed last week that it was going to be our expectation was of rustiness, of a lot of mistakes, um, and just maybe that lack of cohesion. There, there were elements of that, obviously. You saw it in the first few minutes, there were four passes, knock-ons. Ulster as well had, had issues with their handling. But it really, in terms of the intensity, that physical level was um, through the roof in, in my eyes. And, and what the players put in was was really laudable. You saw it at the end. Peter O'Mahony standing there, he can't speak to his teammates. He's obviously gutted as well. Ryan Baird couldn't walk at the end of it he's you know that shot of him over on the left hand side having run up the pitch and he's taking some of that cramp juice just because he's in absolute agony um, and that was really impressive and and Connacht's energy levels their fitness levels particularly when you're in the stadium and you can hear the chat amongst them and, and the energy from um, particularly in defence of how they celebrated and enjoyed working together it was really really impressive I think Ulster definitely were a little bit off the pace but having said that they only lost by, by six points in the end. They'll feel little tweaks here and there can definitely improve. And, and I'm, I'm with Birch on that. It'll be interesting to see if that lethargy that was apparent in the performance, maybe that lack of energy, was just down to a mental, I suppose, mental deficiency, given that they'd already qualified in and, and watched Glasgow losing. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they, they bounce back. Um, but overall, I thought it was really impressive. I thought we saw some excellent individual performances as well from guys who were in good form before the lockdown and, and continuing that as well as a couple who look refreshed and revived so it's definitely exciting and even you mentioned the, the questions coming in it's, it's just class to have people focusing on rugby again to have current rugby to talk about rather than going down rabbit holes of nostalgia so yeah really happy with it all 
Absolutely, yeah. I was on Katie Taylor duty on Saturday evening, so I was kind of gearing up for her fight, getting the laptop ready and kind of sneakily writing a couple of intros, depending on the outcome. But like I was just absorbed in, in this Leinster Monster match as well. And like I found myself kind of, uh, I don't know, um, abdicating some work responsibilities and just keeping an eye on the rugby. Like it was it was just so, um, oh, it was so good to have it back. Uh, and as much as, listen, we will talk about the, the games in detail, and I'd love to be able to simply talk about Leinster and Munster from like a performance perspective and where the game was won and lost and so on. We have to obviously touch upon um, some of the kind of major news to, to come out of that game. The injury to Orgy Snyman in particular, sticking with yourself, Murray, just to begin with, and then we'll throw it to Birch. Um, how do you even sum something like that up? It's just absolutely galling if you're a Munster fan. And I think even if you're an Irish or pro 14 follower in, in general to have a player of that caliber in the competition and then so suddenly struck down uh what a blow yeah little glimpses of what he can do as well his mobility around the pitch early on chasing kicks obviously the line out steal showed his athleticism um but yeah he's cut down and it's going to be six months to a year depending on how that recovery goes acls can be different for different players thought stephen larkham summed it up well yesterday he said it's, it's devastating um there's a real disappointment amongst the whole monster squad Snyman was back in yesterday and, and by all accounts he's actually come in with a real positive attitude which has probably lifted his teammates and that's actually you know that's good teammateship he, he's coming in with a positive attitude talking about getting started on his rehab as soon as that surgery is done but what an incredible blow for Munster and for Johan van Gran in particular I mean we spoke about it before before the lockdown whenever we finish up the podcast about you know there's going to be pressure on Munster now to deliver they've made these signings that expectation is there now van Gran's lost one of these big signings, Joey Carberry's ruled out indefinitely. So there's two of your best three players probably gone. Dialende had a really good debut, I thought. There's probably plenty more to come from him as well, but a really good start. But it's just a huge setback before Munster even get going. Um, and then you put the other injuries on top of it for Jean Klein and, and Dave Kilcoyne. They're going to be out for a while. James Cronin, it sounds like, will be okay in the next couple of weeks. But it really is devastating for Munster. One of your marquee players a guy who's obviously earning big bucks as well. And then the human side of it, Niall Scannell made that really good point yesterday. He's a 25-year-old fellow who's come across with his wife, moved to Ireland. Like, obviously, he's getting well paid for it, but it is a big move and it's a big deal and he's settled in, he got himself fit, and then it's just gone. You saw that kind of resigned grimace on his face um, as he just knew straight away that there was something bad with that knee injury. So, gutting for him, gutting for Munster, gutting for the spring box, Let's hope his recovery time frame is on the lower end of that scale because you'd love to see him back, say, for a Lions tour next summer with the Springboks. Um, but but for now, real devastation, yeah. Bernard, Murray mentioned it there. Johan van Graan, like, you'd have to have enormous sympathy for him. Uh, from a coaching point of view, I'm sure he would have been kind of um, projecting and, and planning with Snyman in mind, you know, like uh, his impact even on things like game plans and so on would have been actually quite profound so it's just such a I'd say shock to the system for Van Gran as well in that he'll have to adapt albeit maybe he'll just kind of revert to to what Munster were doing a little bit more so uh, in the pre-Snyman era um, but just how much of a blow is it and how do you kind of mitigate against something like this when you are a head coach who, who has brought in a marquee player like that and and suddenly he's no longer at your disposal unfortunately there's no um there's no avoiding it, you know. There's a lot of research and and data that goes into training load and and recovery and 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 I suppose uh, high speed meters, etc. And and that's to eliminate soft tissue injuries. But you know the nature of this inj- injury was just such a, a freakish, freakish act. And and obviously when you you know he he's going to cross the line out to to close the gap and compete and just get slightly away from his from his lifters as it always is the chance and. That comes down awkwardly on us, and uh, it's just one of those ones that you can't um, avoid. And uh, for Van Gran, I think it's cruel. You know, he would have. Uh, you know, we we know we've known about this these signings uh, probably a while before they were even announced officially, and you can just imagine the the excitement for all the Munster players and coaches to get to get them over, watching them in the World Cup, watching how how impressed that they were uh, looking back and, and, and I, I suppose uh, what they've done for other teams and then to lose them after after seven minutes is cruel and I thought Munster you know Munster definitely would have got a lot out of that game I thought they're um, they definitely looked to be um, on the up and improved um, and 
just then for the MRI to confirm, you know, how serious it was, it will, um, it will take, a, you know, a bit of getting used to. But they'll kick on. I mean, they still have, um, they still have a huge semi-final to prepare for, and um, yeah, they have a lot of experience in that squad and a lot of quality. But just it is a, it's a cruel blow for for everyone involved. And I agree, you know, for him coming over here, settling in easy, uh, settling quickly is easier when you're playing. Uh, and while he'd be in a in a injured player group and while he'd be around the squad, it's certainly not the same. And um, it's great to hear he's taken in a, in a in a positive way because some players, you know, they they really take it to heart. And I suppose it gets them down a little bit. And I suppose that's you know that's that's obviously the nature of the game. But um, if, if he keeps his positive approach mentally, um, that'll be half the battle for him, and he'll 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 come back. You know, and he's still a very young player, so he's got a lot of rugby ahead of him. But just uh, very frustrating. Very frustrating indeed. And as you mentioned there, he'll be in a an injured group player. Um, could you just talk us through like how much contact he'll have now with the rest of the playing squad, uh, fit players and so on? Like how how involved is a player who was ruled out for this length of time? And I think it's particularly pertinent where, as you say, he has flown halfway across the world, um, is in a new country and, and would have only just been really betting in and kind of... Um, I don't know, uh, I guess, kind of embedding his personality within that, that setup. Like, is there a kind of a degree of separation now between him and the rest of the squad as he rehabs, or will he still be involved in team meetings and so on? Yeah, he'd be involved in some team meetings, but generally, particularly for long-term, there's two different types of groups. There's long-term injured um, and guys closer to return to play. And effectively, in most organizations, you know, the long-term injured guys are are first in in the morning, last out. But uh, their days are incredibly long, um, and generally they they use the facilities uh, when the team we're playing aren't. So effectively, if the uh, they get a gym session done early in the morning, so they can get physio during the team's um, strength and conditioning session, and then um, likewise, you know, they might be at a pitch at a, at a time when the team are in a in a strategy meeting. Um, and then they'll have a double session later on, maybe some rehab and uh, some more physio while you know the physios aren't occupied with a team session. So it, it does tend to, they have a different schedule really. And, and the only times um, they tend to be overlapping is for, for team meals. And again, with COVID, um, by all accounts, there's not really that. Um, it, players are into the building, um, training and gone. Um, and there's not really a lot of overlap. So for a while, for sure, he, he'll be on a different schedule. Now, it depends on, in terms of, like, I don't think he was calling the lineouts yet. Um, and so that's obviously an area that someone like him could have a, a, a reason to be in close contact with the team on a on a weekly basis in terms of helping the lineout callers um, design the strategy, helping the defensive lineout, etc. I don't think that's an area that he's... he's uh, as part of his super strengths, his strength is his ability to um, to win a lot of collisions and be physical, etc. But definitely for him, maybe it's an area that over the next year he can work on. Uh, because I think from a from a monster point of view, you know, long term, um, and it's going to be a long term deal, I think, um, and a long term relationship it will be better for Munster if he was able to call uh, the lineouts and be and be and add that string to his bow. So. Um, effectively you can pick you know the best athlete alongside him Murray when you have somebody arrive into any job from a different neck of the woods you'd hope obviously that um, members of that organization will kind of welcome them with open arms and, and make an extra effort as well to to kind of make them feel uh, welcome in a new setup does that become especially pertinent now for some of the players who might live in and around uh, where Snyman lives to actually keep in contact with them, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> Excuse me. Keep in contact with them outside of uh, training hours and so on. You know, make sure that he's actually settling into Limerick life, even if he's not necessarily on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's invisible to us, but is probably important. Uh, again, Oscar mentioned that yesterday. It's about including if you're going for a meal. He's, they've all been there. Like, most of them, fortunately, haven't done the ACLs, but everyone's had injuries. It's part and parcel of the game, and, and they all know the frustration, the loneliness of it at times and and they will make a big effort to include him because that's the kind of stuff that pays off hopefully next season you know he's going to be fully fit ready to go as Bernard mentions with some new skills potentially um and then you know if he feels that 
more at home, I guess, for the second year of his contract, then you're going to get better performance out of him. So definitely, that'll be a part of it. In the short term, look, it's a it's a bloody disaster for them. It really is. They have to look forward, though. That's the that's the thing in, in professional sport. Again, you you got to move on. They're going to stick with their current lock stocks for the short term anyway. So for the rest of this 2019-20 season. So Tygburn, timely that he's back fit for this weekend. Finneen Witcherly's in the same boat. And I actually wouldn't be surprised even to see the pair of them start together. It looks like a somewhat complementary pairing there. Tygburn has worked really hard to learn the lineouts uh, calling skills over the last couple of years. They have Billy Holland fit as well, who... I mean, he's obviously a line-out specialist without the dynamism of, of some of the other second rows. And, and then they're going to hopefully back those younger second rows in the academy. Thomas Ahern being, first and foremost, a, a player of major potential. We've all seen it. We know what he can do for Ireland under-20s um, and at that level. But seeing him step up to senior level would be really exciting. A player in this Snyman sort of mould because he's mobile, he can offload, he's got skills something a little bit different to the other second rows. And, and Stephen Larkham also, also mentioned Paddy Kelly, who's in the academy as well. Um, probably a, a bigger kind of stockier lock who would maybe provide that power in the, in the close quarters. So that's what they're moving forward with. But it's obviously not the same without Simon in the second row. You're going to have to see guys step up. Tyburn coming back. It might take him a while to, to get up, but he doesn't really have that time now, does he? They're going to be in a semi-final, barring a disaster, obviously, this weekend, in two weekends' time. So... That's what they have to work with, um, but it is it is hugely disappointing. And as you say, yeah, Munster need to work hard to keep Snyman involved as he gets on this really long, arduous road that unfortunately is part of the game. Yeah, it's part of it. But let's talk about the actual game then that happened uh, between these two provinces in particular. We'll start from the Leinster point of view. They won the game. Their perfect season continues. I thought it was uh, for the, the context of it where... Um, some players hadn't played competitively in nearly six months I felt as though it was a, a really polished display by Leinster even though as you mentioned it wasn't a perfect game of rugby by any means Johnny Sexton was absolutely superb I thought Gary Ringrose was probably man of the match uh, but that's only my kind of untrained eye um, what impressed you about Leinster Murray I, I, it struck me actually watching them that I'd forgotten how good they were I'm not sure how I managed to do that but uh, it was just kind of watching them that I, I was reminded oh yeah this is like maybe the best team in the world I forgot yeah that's your humble untrained eye Gav you, I, I agree with you I think he was the man of the match uh, and your untrained eye is always pretty well educated I think so um, you're talking yourself down a bit too much <laughs> they, they were they were impressive though especially in the moments of the game that were really decisive those championship minutes as we talk about before and after half time Munster had had a good first half and then they go into the the corner and and obviously Henshaw with that beautiful little grubber kick we talked about it on the members podcast on Monday with Owen Toulon a lovely bit of skill that shows they're trying to develop their game and Johnny Sexton spoke about it afterwards they've identified it as an area um, having looked at England a bit where they can improve and, and have a little bit more of a rounded attacking kicking game not just off 10 so that was really positive to see after half time they probably should have scored from that 5 metre scrum uh, just after Sexton's lovely kick in behind following the, the Luke McGrath break off a scrum but a couple of minutes later via a turnover from Sexton and van der Fleer in the choke tackle they sweep down the left hand side and, and Baird puts low away there was a couple of bit of contentious, contentious bits in that. Maybe Conan's angle on the last ruck isn't ideal. And, and I know some people felt it was a forward pass. I think it was fine it, it just because Baird gets stopped in the tackle by Daly. But it was a really clinical strike from Leinster and, and took them into a really strong position. Now, Leo Cullen was frustrated that they didn't really close it out from there. They obviously got the yellow card and Munster scored 12 points in that period. But Leinster had a, more than enough class to get over the line against a ferocious Munster effort. And... For me, that's a really interesting part now, looking hopefully at a, a, another game between the two in, in the semi-final, is, you know, if Leinster, as we expect, to step it up another couple of years, can Munster also do the same? I think Leinster will see so much scope for improvement, even things that were obvious, like the aerial game was a was a really poor area for them. Jordan Larmer really struggled. I, I didn't think he had enough conviction or or assertiveness coming onto that ball, and, and obviously those in front of him can always work better, but... Conor Murray's boxing was excellent and Munster had a bit of a field day on that. They obviously had several turnovers, CJ Sander with four of them, so they targeted that breakdown. So Leinster have a kind of nice position to be in, actually. I think the coaches will be happy enough with it. You always want 
plenty to work on. You obviously want that result. So they leave themselves in a good position. But similarly in the background, just to, to mention briefly, are Saracens. I've had a, kept an eye on them in the first couple of weeks of the Premiership. They look good. Their key guys like Mario Toje is in freakish form. Billy Vunapola looks in good shape. And you just know that everything Saracens are doing at the moment is about that quarterfinal. Like the Premiership, they're already relegated. The Championship next season, they've got their squad sorted, some clever signings. So they're just going to put everything into that that quarterfinal. Richard Wigglesworth is kicking beautifully uh, on the box kicking game. And, and they have all these tools that can really challenge Leinster. So there's loads, obviously, for Leinster on their plate before that. But I think that's fascinating that that's similar way in the background, that Saracens are, are coming down the line. Was it a perfect kind of victory in the circumstances, Bernard, for Leinster in that it was narrow, it was imperfect in how it was executed. So there is a lot to work on ahead of a potential rematch between Leinster and Munster in a semi-final whereas sometimes when a team consistently beats the other it can actually be a little bit difficult to find areas in which uh, you can improve and the impetus falls to the opposition who keep losing to kind of make amendments and eventually turn the tide if you know what I mean. Yeah for sure and and probably to be honest they get a lot of easy wins because they're superior to a lot of their their opponents in, in the Pro 14 so to get a a really tight game like that where, you know, they put the pin in the collar to get the win. Um, they're under pressure for large periods. I think we'll stand them a good stead. And, and you know, Murray's mentioned, you know, the the aerial aerial work that um, they'll be very disappointed with. Their line-out struggled a little bit, particularly early doors and, and the breakdown. And to probably not be at your best in, in three kind of fundamental areas of the game and still win, I think, you know, shows the quality they have. And that self-belief and that bit of class they have, I mean, they just get their score so easily, you know. Um, uh, like, they, they were pretty much under the cosh for the first while. They went behind and, you know, they, they win a couple of penalties, kick to the corner, and, and Healy scores, you know, pretty easily. Um, obviously, very well-constructed mall, but, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a simple score. They don't have to spend a huge amount of time with the opposite 22. Um, just before halftime, obviously, the, the you know, the playing advantage, but a brilliant... <laughs> A uh, little kick through from from uh, Henshaw to Ring Rose, and then there's not a huge amount on, and they're playing a little bit kind of in their own half or around the halfway line for for James Lowe's try. But as soon as they, you know, they get a little bit of, um, uh, I suppose, well, they get a defensive error and they punish it. So Sexton has the confidence to allow the blitz come and, and gets the pass away, and and they just don't need a second invitation. You know, it's it's a second row, but Baird has the has the awareness to put low away and, and they're gone. And, and that must be just cruel for Munster when you think about how hard Munster have to score, have to work to score their tries. And that's just, I suppose, a little bit where Leinster are at at the moment. But, um, you know, for Leo and Stewart, you know, they'll, there's enough areas to work on. Um, and, and another battle against Munster, which is looming Friday week, I think it's it's perfect preparation for them for, for obviously that Saracens game. And Saracens changed their team. I don't know, Murray mentioned it, but Saracens rotated yesterday and, and, and last night or, and uh, got well, or beat Gloucester. Um, and uh, so they're, they really are humming along nicely. And uh, it's, it's fascinating that, that, like Ulster this weekend, then Munster, then Saris, then a final, probably if, they, if, they, if it all goes well. Um, they've got some big games coming up, but they look in, in good condition. And they're big name players, you know, the, the Ring Rose, you know, Henshaw, uh, Sexton was excellent. I thought Larmer was looked sharp. Obviously, he didn't deal with the high ball well. Um, and then Conan coming back from a long break and that balance between, you know, Conan, Doris, Doris at six, Van der Fleer, um, you know, Deegan and and, Mac, and Will Connors on the bench. You know, Will Connors came on and um, when Munster were really starting to uh, have some possession and territory, some of his chop tackling was as you know a standard for him, but it was exceptional and. And helped them keep them out. So, um, and that's not to mention the likes of Levy and Reese Ruddock and Scott Penny, etc., who are um, who are there. Josh Murphy. It's a phenomenal strength and depth. And uh, um, yeah, they're in a, they're in a good place. Murray, let's talk a little bit about Sexton then, because if I'd kind of forgotten myself how good Leinster were, it would be easy to forget as well that last time Johnny Sexton played, he was in one of those. Um, well, he had one of those days probably, or was going through one of those periods in which a lot of people who follow rugby in the country kind of begin to write him off. And it's happened a couple of times now over the last few years, but uh, it may, may not have quite felt like a response to that because so much time had elapsed in the interim, but it was just a, a really smashing performance for a guy who is pushing on, as we know, 
but once again proved like class is permanent basically yeah i mean he said it after himself that the england game was simmering away in his mind for months and months you know he admitted that he's not the kind of person that can get over things easily you'd imagine some of his teammates did that they put it in the past they weren't sitting in lockdown thinking about england but he was so for him it was the last or the 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 chance the most recent chance to put that behind him and, and he definitely felt like he did that not not perfect again but an impressive first outing and he looked physically in good shape i thought and mentioned the choke tackle things like that he, cj sander obviously had it in for him was looking for him every time he got the ball to carry and and sexton dealt well with it he he obviously as bernard mentions lovely bit of playmaking for the the low try and that kick i mentioned earlier on i thought was really good vision as well so yeah a, a really strong performance from him first up but in his own mind as well i think he'll be keen to prove it in in the bigger games as well like the thing about people like Johnny Sexton because of the position as well when they have a poor game it's really magnified and and all the heat tends to come on them you know one error one missed kick one bad place kick obviously uh, and we tend to be very up and down in how we assess them like Johnny Sexton played well in those Scotland and Wales games in the Six Nation but then you have the big one against England and it doesn't go well for him that day and and everyone's riding him off again all of a sudden having probably spoken him up the week before so he understands that very well, but I I do think that is a challenge for him, isn't it? Like, come to those big games and show it there. He's done really well in this game against Munster. Not to talk down the the magnitude of this game, but I think he'll be very motivated for the playoff games and and having that run of fixtures and showing that he can be durable, robust, consistent as well. Because we know he has his eye on bigger things down the line, namely that Lions tour at the the end of the season. So this is just the start of it for him, but a very promising start, certainly. Bernard alluded to the fact that Saris had shuffled their deck a little bit for that Gloucester match. Uh, there was a question here from Owen Harrison, which I'll throw to yourself, Mary, to begin with on Twitter. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Owen asks, do you think Leinster starting Doris and Conan at six and eight is an idea for Saris trying to get their two best ball carriers on the field to ensure front football? Is it an option? Yeah, I think it was maybe a nod to that. I think the 6-2 bench was a nod to that as well. I mean, Leo Cullen mentioned that it was a bit of experimentation for potentially looking further down the line. He didn't mention Saracens, but you would imagine that would be the case. That's going to be obviously uh, a very physical challenge where forwards are going to be taking big collisions. And, and you would imagine that having that extra number on the bench will, will be handy up front. I thought the the two of them played well, Doris and Conan, the, the back row was impressive, really, apart from those breakdown turnovers. That's not just their duty, obviously. It's a, it's a team-wide duty. But when you have Conan's punchy kind of ball-carrying, Doris's really rounded game, um, and then van der Fleer's just relentless work rate. He looked a, a little bit stronger, I thought, even in, in the contact and the physical exchanges. The lockdown has, has, has done well for him in that regard. But it was, a, it was a nice back row. And I think when you have those two guys who can be... Um, high numbers and high impact ball carriers it's it's really good in, in your pack so I think it was a little nod towards that it, we said last week I think myself and Bernard were talking about it um, about the potential back row for Leinster what's your best back row with all those options and I said I would love to have seen Levy and, and Doris and Conan together it now does look like Levy's probably going to be more likely for next season really 2021 because he's still a little way off and I mean throwing him back into a playoff game would just be a little bit much I think so that might be a bit further down the line but I do think yeah in in response to the question I do think it was a little nod towards the Saracens game pairing those two guys together as well as them just being really good rugby players Bernard to look at the game then from Munster's point of view um I didn't get the impression actually that Munster fans were particularly galled by that defeat, just the nature of it probably and the fact that they ran Leinster close um, and, and weren't too far away from, from maybe winning the game was palatable at least compared to some of the more recent fixtures between the two and it does set it up nicely as well from their perspective all going well for that semi-final rematch. What did you see from Munster, Birch, that maybe you hadn't seen so much of pre-lockdown or where did they impress you first and foremost? Um, I thought Conor Murray looked sharper for sure um, and I thought Casey gave a really good impact off the bench. Now I know Leinster had a man to bin but and Munster were chasing the game so there was a little bit more urgency but I, I thought um, 
he just got in and, and got it away and, uh, and his decision making around the breakdown was was excellent so that was a positive I thought JJ did well um, uh, and you know that's going to be huge for Munster with, with Carby out and three three talented but inexperienced tens um, behind him Daly a fullback I thought he looked really confident really bright um, Conway and Earls you know took their tries really well Chris Farrell was was outstanding and um, you know when Delande gets up to speed um, I think you're going to have two centres who are going to be you know a real handful for any team um, they just got absolutely destroyed by injuries you know when James Cronin pulled out the morning of the game and then Kilcoyne gets injured after seven minutes and, and you're asking Jeremy Lachlan to go <clears throat> to go 70 minutes against you know a brilliant I think the Leinster front row um, you know our, our exceptional Leinster uh, scrum is very good and I just thought that Leinster you know we, we spoke about their deficiencies they had the ability to milk a penalty at scrum time when they needed to and that was probably probably Munster's Achilles heel really in the game um, but yeah they, some of their some of their interplay was better I, look at the, it's still a work in progress and, and that's natural um, natural I suppose with, with Delande coming in there into a key position and effectively you know you have you don't really have a natural playmaker as such. You, you've got um, two very, you know, direct two players who are better being being direct. Even though the Landy can and Chris Farrell can both pass, their, their strength is probably getting you over the gain line. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose what they probably lacked was a little bit of power. Um, you know, when you think back to that first try, um, I know Chris nearly got over, but there was a lot of phases where they didn't look like they had that dynamism. And now Kilcoyne has gone off. Snyman was gone off um, at the time, um, but they didn't have that same punch that I felt that Leinster had when when you know, they needed those hard carries. And um, I think that's probably going to be a little bit of an issue for them, and that's that's um, that's obviously a concern. It's pro- they're probably good enough to beat the majority of the teams, but getting over the line against against Leinster, um, they probably need to get like a killer back and. Um, and maybe just a little bit more power in their in their maybe their back row as well. Like I think Peter Omani was very good. CJ was brilliant without the ball. Um, Tommy wasn't probably you know wasn't outstanding, uh, but he's obviously a very good player. But maybe they lacked their physicality uh, with with the ball um, from their from their forwards in in in, uh, in the carrying stakes. You know, um, like Niall Scannell wasn't brilliant with ball in hand in terms of carrying. Um, you know, Archer made a couple of mistakes. They just didn't have the 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 same amount of ball carriers as I felt Leinster had. But having said that, you know, they showed great spirit. Um, you know, uh, and they they look more, they look better. Just probably, and that's probably not. It's, it's probably okay for Munster given the injuries. But what what Munster fans want is to be able to go to Dublin and, and beat Leinster. I think they've only beaten them once since '09 in Dublin, um, and that's that's obviously something they need to change. And the change to to make it. To to get a win there, I, I just think they need to develop um, either more explosive carries um, or better subtlety around uh, their play, and uh, and that that's something that I'm sure Larkin will be looking to put better shape on their attack and be less one out um, and have more deception around the ball carrier, which hopefully opens up more holes. Murray, your thoughts on Munster's explosivity or lack thereof, and uh, the need for a little bit more subtlety in what they're doing. Yeah, they lost Simon and Kilcoyne. That deprives you your two prime, well, two of your prime carriers, and, and that's definitely a concern for them. And, and that gap will be have to have to be made up by others. I I thought it was encouraging from their point of view how they took the tries. I mean, it, it takes a while. The first one is oh is twenty first phase they score on. It's over two minutes of what Bernard described that bashing away. But then, I mean, they they really narrowed up Leinster with that nice little pass from Conor Murray across the face of the obvious ball-carrying forwards to Dialende, that kind of line we've seen from loads of teams inside the 22. With his power, he's obviously a threat. Ringrose makes an incredible tackle to stop him scoring. And then Leinster obviously real narrow, but just simple things. Out the back of, again, those forward carriers to Hanrahan, and he puts Conway away with a brilliant bit of work rate off the ball from Conway to swing all the way from the right-hand edge over to the left to to finish. And again, similar for the other scores, the Keith Earls one is obviously another, from Earls himself, it's a brilliant finish. And I think that's a really exciting thing for Munster is that their two wingers are excellent finishers. Just get them ball with a little bit of space, even a one-on-one, and they'll make things happen. But the build-up to that, 
a nice clear out from makeshift forward Rory Scannell and, and Peter O'Mahony at the two previous rocks opens up a bit of space and then Dialende's threat as a ball carrier is used smartly they play out the back of him he draws Ross Byrne right in because you just you're just so worried about Dialende getting the ball and I thought they they used him as a decoy well um, and then Hanrahan's able to push Earls into that space and, and the last one is that pivot ball from Chris Farrell Bernard mentioned his ability to to handle as well it looks like he's going to take that similar line to Dialende before the first try but he just plays the ball out the back to Hanrahan and Daly who had throughout the game they they operated as this kind of stack where Daly op- is lined up directly in behind Hanrahan they're moving in behind play trying to decide late when they're going to come and when they're going to strike and, and change the picture for the defence. It wasn't always fluid or smooth, but on this occasion, it worked well. Daly gets outside Gibson Park and, and is able to draw in low briefly. And then Conway finished inside. I think Lowe will be disappointed with his defence and probably his performance actually all round. It was a big day for him, obviously, with Ireland qualification down the line. So he'll be motivated to show a, a bit more next time around. But even just how they took those tries, there was still so much blunt stuff in the 22 and, and at times that's the right call you know you think of the other one where Farrell knocks on they try to play a little bit of shape Dialende goes he plays that link pass to Hanron and, and, and he tips it on to Farrell they knock on but there you kind of go I wonder would Dialende be better actually carrying that with his real power they're close to the try line there so I think it's about getting a balance they're clearly trying to they're trying to grow it. Stephen Larkham's big job, really, isn't it? They get to the semi-finals. Their attacking play wasn't good enough. It wasn't rounded enough. They didn't have enough strings to their bow. That subtly that Bernard mentioned. So they're trying to go on that journey. Whether they can get there um, in this very short-term window remains to be seen. But I think longer term, there's there's positive signs. Bernard touched upon the two monster scrum halves. Connor Murray, very impressive. And equally, Craig Casey coming off the bench, adding a little bit of zip to proceedings which is no um which is not intended as as a, a criticism of murray really in that he was quite good what was your impression of both of their performances and did you feel as though um you saw something in casey in a game of that magnitude as you say where i don't know the decision to leave albie matthewson go for example uh doesn't quite strike as being as jarring uh when you see what casey is actually capable of doing now at that level yeah, I, th- I thought he was really lively off the bench. His first couple of passes were wayward and, and people probably, they don't think of those. They think of that try where he made some really nice, as you say, zippy passes. He is, he's quicker than most scrum halves off the ground. It's its marginal stuff, but those little margins make a difference. And he's got such a big personality as well. It was really interesting being in the stadium. I'm sure Birch noticed as well just how vocal he was when he was warming up. When he wasn't even on the pitch, he was roaring at lads and by all accounts he's like that in training he doesn't you know he always got respect for people but he doesn't care for reputations he's going to say what he thinks has to be said and and he's already turning into a leader for them so he's a, he's a massive prospect obviously I think Conor Murray had a really good game to be honest and I thought he passed well I thought he kicked superbly defended as well obviously as always strongly and I thought he looked in good nick I think he'll improve over the next few games as well so I think they're in a brilliant position I, I think Conor Murray is the first choice I, 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 you know Basing your opinion on Casey of Casey on a passage where months where Leinster are down to fourteen players is a little bit slanted, and um, I think it would be brilliant for him to to keep getting those opportunities. Though it looks like a really good nine twenty one combination, and as you say, if Casey continues on that tra- trajectory, they're not going to miss someone like Abby Matthewson at, at all. So I think they're in a good position at scrum half now, definitely. Um, there was a question here from Stephen Doors, and it seems to have resulted in, in some kind of online feud between him and a gentleman called Barry O'Sullivan. But I'm just going to put Stephen's question to yourself first, Bernard, and Murray, you can come in on it as well. Um, he just feels as though that Munster are, are reluctant to play their young players. Obviously, we saw Casey come on and there was Shane Daly starting, feeling wishily, but he mentions the likes of Jack O'Sullivan, John Hodnett, Thomas O'Hearn, Ben Healy, Jack Crowley, to name but a few, and says rather cruelly that... Uh, journeymen tend to get picked instead. Do you feel as though there is a reluctance on, on Munster's, Munster's behalf to gamble on youth relative to, say, Leinster or, or the other provinces, Bert? No, I don't think so. I think um, I think those players will get uh, game time. I think Jack O'Sullivan is, is is incredibly talented, but just obviously had a had a had a 
bad luck with an injury and, and that's probably hampered his um, opportunities. Hodnett, you know, got to play Pro 14 last year and, and showed what he's made of. I think there is a really good crop at the moment, you know. Um, as I mentioned, Daly has been, you know, impressive. Casey um, shows every time he gets an opportunity that he's won uh, for the future. Um, and, you know, like Tom Ahern, etc. So they are, they are there. Um, maybe just by nature of, of the kind of development pathway that they come on, um, they might take a little bit, maybe take a year longer than, than a Leinster graduate just because of the exposure most of the Leinster players have to full-time s and not sorry, not full-time s but an intensive s program in school um, at, at 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, they, are, they have more training hours than your stereotypical um, Munster Academy player, and, and that's you know, Munster being on the record around that's that's obviously what they're trying to uh, improve on is just getting getting access to those players a little bit younger and, and, and trying to give them the um, the same tools that that the Leinster players have. But having said that, you know, talent still comes true, and um, I, I think the Munster are in a good place at the moment with a lot of depth coming through their academy, and I would expect to see those players get opportunities but probably not any freebies now you know this is the end of uh, end of last season uh, for the next four or five weeks and you know Van Grand and, and his coaching team they're all about the now um, but having said that we know by the nature of the of the Pro 14 um, and Munster providing a lot of players for Ireland um, there will be opportunities you know in the new season and I expect them to, to be given them and, and I expect some of them to take them Murray, what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel as though there's a reluctance on, on Munster's behalf to blood youth, or will it just all come in good time and, and probably largely next season, as Bernard says? Yeah, I definitely think it, it does need to come because, again, we've we've discussed Munster's pipeline so often. It's a regular uh, question as well. The, the, the talent is there now. It's clear that a crop of players they have in their academy and just breaking into senior squad are going to be good enough, and now they need that exposure. Um you know, like last season, I think fans maybe would have been, some fans and those outside Munster would have been frustrated with someone like Arno Botha starting games when the internationals were away. But he was one of the Munster's best players, really, wasn't he, <laughs> over the course of the season? It was it was hard for Van Gran, who, as you mentioned, is under that, like he knows he's in the spotlight to, to start winning something or, or get really close to winning something, get into a final. Um and he's, as Bernard says, right now they're focused on that opportunity in this 2019-20 Pro 14. There's an opportunity there to, to go to a final if they can produce something massive against Leinster. Um, but I do think I do think there is an onus on them in the early stages of the 2020-21 season to start getting these lads in, to give them genuine opportunities to usurp the guys ahead of them, I suppose. Like, get Craig Casey a, a, another couple of starts give Shane Daly, like he looked really comfortable, didn't he? Shane Daly, you talk about gambles, but it didn't look like a gamble. He was really comfortable out there. He's got a big mentality, I think, a guy who's confident in his abilities um, and is not even that young anymore. He's ready to go. And he delivered uh, when given that opportunity in, in a big game against Leinster. So I think that's a a positive sign. And, and you'd love to see someone like Ahern get an opportunity. Um, he's, got a, he's got ability. He's training really well. The, the senior players speak highly of what he's doing. Niles Scanlon was saying, you know, he's all over my ball when he's in the opposition team and in, in the lineouts in, in training. So put him in there. He's shown enough to deserve that opportunity. Um, so yeah, I'd be very hopeful that they get through this 2019-20 thing and then yeah, get those young guys in there because that's what engages people as well. The, the home supporters love to see that. That's why Craig Casey is so popular as well because he's a Limerick guy, lives and breeds Monster Roby, and they're the people you can kind of. Um, get around and, and it definitely lifts the support certainly does I think yeah Shane Daly I think has been one of Munster's best players this season really when you look at it in a kind of an overall sense um, we mentioned Casey and Murray <clears throat> there's a question here from Chris O'Connor and he says people were talking about Casey and Murray and Cooney coming in uh, coming into the weekend he says but I thought Marmion gave the strongest nine performance will he get a squad place given he was pretty harshly treated by Joe and has never let Ireland down, which people seem to forget. Brackets, I'm a Leinster fan. So it's a segue into Connacht Ulster, if you haven't figured it out already. But um, maybe just start with uh, Chris's question there about Marmion. Was he the standout nine of the weekend, Murray, to your mind? 
yeah, he he was very very good, wasn't he? he? I'm I'm thinking of his brilliant support lines for his try, obviously where John Porch produced that incredible little kick, um, but something similar for the first try off that lovely set piece move they had where Wooden goes through and and there's Marmion on the inside. Then, as always, typically aggressive in defence. You, you think of him cutting down James Hume at one stage, biting in off the edge when he held the width from from line out defence. He really prospers in that side of the game. So it was a really timely performance from him. The challenge for the Connacht players is obviously only having two games and then they go on another five-week break. So I thought you saw a lot of that motivation from Marmy and Carty, those kind of guys who are... Alton Delan was was really outstanding, as was Carty. The, the guys who were on that uh, maybe fringe of the Ireland squad really stepped up. I think Marmion's definitely right in that mix. He's kind of become the forgotten man because he had that injury after missing out in the World Cup and it was a, a torrid season for him really. But it is very competitive. Luke McGrath had another good game for Leinster. Conor Murray's still there. John Cooney obviously only got 40 for Ulster and, and things didn't go well for them. But we know what kind of form he had uh, before before the break. So it is going to be a, a nice little um, selection battle. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Marmion back in there. He's... He's got a lot to offer. He's experienced as well. He's got a lot of caps to his name and um, a guy who has a, a really complete game. And uh, yeah, I thought he started the season really well. So definitely uh, back in the mix. Bernard, your impression of your former club and what was a very good victory for them against Ulster? Yeah, I think it was brilliant. I think um, it was always, well, I was certainly wondering how how they would approach these two games given they have another five weeks Um to prepare for the next season after it and uh they definitely would it would be understandable if they were a little bit shy in terms of the rugby and, and decided to use i suppose the the block of seven weeks as an opportunity to get better physical gains but um they managed to do both they looked to be in great shape physically bundy um you know was excellent marmium pants back jack carty was good um you know i thought sullivan uh, on the wing you know looked Looked really physical and and Wooden was was exceptional. But Jared Butler, you know, Kobe Fianga is gone. He's moved across the seven. Um, I thought he'd a he'd a really good game. And and um, as as Murray mentioned mentioned, you know, uh, Ulster Delan, Dave Heffernan. So yeah, they looked really in great shape. And even now, you know, I, I spoke to someone involved and they're talking about rotating quite a few this week for for the game against Munster. But regardless of how that game goes, I think they're going to have gain confidence from it and, and then they can go for the next five weeks and, and really work hard and look to start next season in a um you know with a quick start. That that hurt them last year, obviously had a lot of injuries during the World Cup. It's a time when Connacht usually make hay and uh um it really cost them and they never really gained regained their momentum or confidence. So uh Andy Friend and Nigel Carroll and Jimmy Duffy, Peter Wilkins will be in, you know, really happy with that. And uh you know, hopefully it's, it's it's a positive sign that Connacht are gonna have a big season. Yeah, I think it's almost a, a pity just to add on to that that they're not going with the bulk of the same team. I think it's clever coaching from Andy Friend. He's going to have a, an entirely new fifteen. He's going to get everyone minutes. Everyone who's trained hard all summer and and like put up with the lockdown. It'll be really good for squad harmony. I think you'll probably see like Sammy Arnold getting his debut against Munster, having turned down a contract, gone to Connacht looking for more game time. He is going to be so mo- motivated. Connor Oliver getting stuck into some of those monster back rows who he probably felt he should have had opportunities ahead of. It's going to be fascinating to to see that. But at the same time, you would have loved to have watched Connacht trying to back up that performance they delivered. There was there was so much to like about it, as, as Bernie mentions there. I thought those two first half tries were just... like it, it was just brilliant to see after such a long time without Irish rugby. But their attack looked fluid, which was a surprise so early in the game. Um, Wooten makes that line break and they get into their 22 play and then Carty has that lovely overhead offload the second try that Marmion finished was a stunner on that kick return and Delan makes a good carry they split the field and instantly they're into their shape Finley Bealham is the link pass on that occasion and their forward skill levels were really impressive um, all the front rows featured prominently in that regard and they look they look like they're going towards that game that is probably going to suit them they're not the the biggest side in the world obviously and they don't have the biggest name signings but if they can marry a, a nice attacking style to to what we saw in defence from them really determined energetic punchy um, they're going to be in a good place so definitely echo what Bernard says I think it bodes well for 2020-21 I would love to have seen them back it up but at the same time I'm looking forward to seeing a couple of guys Conor Fitzgerald's another one ex-monster as well with 
with a point to prove and um, it's going to be interesting to see how they go. Yeah, Murray, I, I, just on that, I think Andy Friend's in a great position now because um, he can rotate a squad, he can give everybody a, who's fit a taste of, of match practice and I think that's really important in terms of squad harmony. But also, mm. I mean, there's an opportunity and it's not a given that they won't uh, perform in yeah, the game. Yeah. And I, you know, I think Caelan Blade coming in from Army and um, if Quinn Rue comes in, uh, like if you look at Exeter last or Tuesday night, um, they they rotated 14 players. I know their their championship team. They went to Bristol and won. Um, you know, Saracens made a load of changes. So the the opportunity is for these other players who come in now and get get game time is to continue that form. And uh, um, obviously, you know, it's going to be harder for them. You know, Munster will will be very strong, but um, they had five young players on the bench against Ulster and. and I thought, you know, they got a taste of it, like Jordan Duggan, etc. So, they, you know, if the opportunity now is, and what Andy Friend will be saying is, look, at, I'm rewarding your, your hard work with, with game time, um, but it's a long five weeks, um, you know, if you don't take it, really. And, and having that regret around not performing for five weeks before the next competitive game, um, you know, should be a great card for them. And I'm excited to see how much depth they have. And that's what they lacked last year. Um, and you know they've obviously recruited from other provinces, and their two foreign players um, are still to feature and won't feature this weekend. Their new their new signings, uh, O'Donnell and Papalihi, but it'd be just great to see them have some more depth because they're going to need it over the course of the season. Bernard, sticking with yourself, then Ulster um, were they just guilty of taking their foot off the gas, having already qualified? It was something that Murray wanted to throw to you earlier in the show, anyway. So we'll start there. Yeah, I, well, I, that's what that's just going to be fascinating, Dan. Dan Lefferty thinks it is. Here's something that I'm wondering, and um, maybe it's something that the, the listeners haven't thought about. The Ulster squad um, had a different um, hurdle during COVID, lock, lock, or COVID-19 than everybody else in, in Ireland. Um, so I don't know if you remember, uh, Ulster players went on furlough, um, which is basically the, the UK government's tax... Uh, or not a benefit scheme to try and keep companies and businesses alive. And there was quite strict regulations within that around the amount of training you could do, uh, because it was basically, you're not allowed to do activities that are part of your job. And I know that the Welsh regions really struggled with some of this, and, and it, was, it was harder for them to, um, to have group sessions. It was, it was uh, harder for them to, to give out programs, etc., because effectively they weren't supposed to be working. Um, and I wonder were Ulster a little bit caught by that, um, and has that made has that meant that they're a little bit, I suppose, um, shy in terms of the preparation that the other three have had, who weren't obviously who were who were, um, I suppose, limited by COVID nineteen lockdown, but no limits around physical activity, and definitely for me they looked a week or two behind Connacht, Leinster, Munster in terms of their um, physical physical capacity, um, their ability, you know, their body language, their ability to get off the ground quickly, their ability to get in a position, um, particularly from the last 20 minutes, um, was a marked contrast. And, you know, that'll be interesting. Was it just psychological? If it was, obviously, we'll, you know, we'll see a, a big improvement um, this weekend. But if not, if not, maybe then, you know, it's a race then to be ready to go to Edinburgh the week after. And, um you know, Ulster's away performances. I looked at some stats last weekend from um, a company called Enhanced Performance, and and I think they've only uh, their away record is only something like thirty percent, which isn't um, obviously the quite the type of form you would want for a team who are going to win trophies. So there's a big question marks around Ulster um, based on one game, but I, I think Dan will be worried. That's very interesting, Murray. What, what's your take on that? I hadn't considered the furlough thing at all now myself. I have to say, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a brilliant point because I mean you know Bernard you mentioned the last 20 minutes there but even that second try you think of probably the lack of early work rate from uh, from Ulster in that regard it's a exit kick from John Cooney and they're just slow to close up Delan gets into clear space and then they're really slow to fold over onto the right hand side and it's numbers up for Connacht and they're able to 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 go away and score down that left hand side so that was a, that was an example of probably poor work rate whether that's related to fitness, I, it definitely, I think, remains to be seen. But it's a really interesting point. I, I definitely hadn't considered that. Um, and they're the different challenges everyone has had in, in different circumstances over the last few months. But it is, 
really imperative that they get up to speed quickly um, unless it is a, a longer term issue like that because yeah Bernard mentioned they're straight into that Edinburgh game that is going to be a really difficult task I thought Edinburgh looked good last weekend beating Glasgow their defence was really strong and they made uh, nine turnovers in open play they struck re- really well off that they, they've kind of worked hard to develop different sides of their game and now they have a bit of a counter attack they have really um, X-factor players like Blair Kinghorn and um, Van der Merwe on the left wing. They have guys who can who can break up in a game and um, and they're kicking well as well at the moment. So they look like they're shaping up nicely for a kind of knockout tie. Plus Ulster also have their Champions Cup quarterfinal all going well um, next month as well. So there's big games on the horizon for them and they're definitely going to have to have a big response to that performance. It, it just as they said themselves afterwards, it just wasn't good enough from them. There were bits in there that, that were positive. Let's let's also highlight that. I thought everything good they did kind of went through Stuart McCloskey, as often tends to be the case. He's got such a nice power game. He's got such a nice handling game. Even some of the backline plays, they, they run around him in, in little blocker shapes or loops off him, and it's just very hard to to shift off a guy like that. You've got to respect his ability to carry the ball. Um, and there were instances where it did kind of click for a couple of phases and then there'd be a simple knock-on or uh, maybe a little bit of a lack of a work rate down to the to the breakdown or or something along those lines. So there were little flashes of, of what they can do. As we said, they got into a good position um, after Nick Timoney's try, they were point behind, but um, Bernard's kind of summed up really well there. The last 20 minutes, they just didn't have anything. They were going against 14 men. Thought Connacht managed it maturely in terms of keeping the ball, a couple of little clever kicks in behind. You think of Tom Farrell, Grubber down the left, Carty with something similar down the right, um, and they managed that period really well with only fourteen players. But Ulster will be really frustrated with not being able to get out of their half. Actually, as we mentioned on Monday, in those closing uh, after Nick Timoney's try, which you know there's plenty of the game left, they only had thirty three seconds of possession outside their own twenty two Ulster. They just could not get another foothold in the game, um, and Connacht were able to see it out. Jack Anger who was one of those impressive players off the bench that Bernard mentioned, he, he gets a try. So there's a lot there for, for Ulster to work on, particularly given um, those big knockout ties are, are going to be of, of of an even higher standard. I just want to throw this question to yourself, Bernard, before we wrap on Ulster and Connacht. It's from an Ulster, fra- Ulster fan named Johnny, and the listeners are not mincing their words today, but he says, one for Bernard, given his experience. How does a coach weigh up starting Marty Moore, who looked off the pace, overweight, but on his day is fantastic, versus O'Toole starting and Kane, not as good, but maybe in better condition? How would those conversations have gone midweek? And he adds that you see it a lot in the English Premiership too, that experience would appear to carry a lot of power in selection. I don't I don't think parents will carry uh, power. It'll be based on on real, um, real information and real data. So, uh, um, I think, you know, Dan, Dan and, and the S coaches and all the coaches will be very aware of where all players are, are tracking and, and, um, where they're at in terms of their, their personal bests, where they're at in terms of, um, the benchmarking of the, of the players they're competing Mac with in Ulster. And, and obviously, you know, from an IRFU point of view, we're, they're pretty lucky that they have, you know, um, data on, on the guys that are competing with uh, externally in Leinster, Munster, and and Connacht. So, um, I, I think Dan will will make his selection based on what's best for Ulster. And um, he obviously felt Marty starting um, was the was the best possible balance. And I think Marty's someone who, you know, from what I've seen him over over the years, is when he gets a run of games, uh, his form his forms tend to improve. And and I'm sure that's probably part of the decision as well is to try and get game time into him and uh, yeah look at he, he'll be a key man for, for Ulster and it's, it's going to be an interesting battle with with likes of Tom, Tom O'Toole who's a different profile player um, but you know is, it has got a huge future as well but I wouldn't write off Marty um, by any manner of means Tangentially linked to Connacht then Murray just to mention that Peter McCabe and Ni Adi Alokun are off to work with Pat Lamb again over in Bristol um, it was funny I think it was last Saturday uh, we were in, I was looking at our group chat and 
Peter was in my year in school. We'd be we'd be good buddies. I don't mind admitting that publicly. Um, and our school had tweeted out the news that he was set to join Bristol, but he had to get onto them to take it down because he hadn't signed the contract <laughs> yet. <laughs> we all got scooped by uh, CBC Cork. But uh, the the deal is done now. He he had me sworn to secrecy. Don't be telling Murray Kinsel anything. Uh, but it is official <laughs> now. And Ni Adi Lokun, who used to be his roommate as well, I believe, uh, is heading over there with him. It, it's great that they have an opportunity to extend their careers and potentially even put themselves in, in shop windows and, and get a new gig elsewhere or, or even possibly remain at Bristol, depending on how they get on. Definitely, definitely. I must start keeping an eye on CBC's Twitter account then if that's where the stories are coming from. And you better start telling me stuff as well, Gav. Come on. Um, I think it is fantastic and it's what, what a place to go. Bristol, if anyone's watched them since the return and even before that, they're on such a nice upward trajectory, playing lovely rugby under Pat Lamb, obviously a world-class squad now. Really good opportunity, as you say, to fit in there and, and hopefully feature or, or at least get close to, to featuring and um, and just good to to get back into a professional environment after the really uncertain times that so many guys have had during lockdown. A big batch of Connacht players were kind of released, and it was bad timing. There was obviously nothing happening in the in the market. Now you're starting to see this is injury cover for Bristol. You're starting to see that kind of signing happening. Um, and two good players like Peter McCabe has been with Connacht for what 39 appearances, um, and shown his ability with Munster as well. Adi Loken obviously has an Ireland cap. He won the 2016 Pro 12 and scored a try in the final under Pat Lamb. And we know what he can do. He's really rapid winger. He makes good defensive reads, I think, as well when he's at his best um, and is hopefully fully fit and has all those little niggles behind him now because he's only 29. He can definitely offer value somewhere else. Peter McCabe is only 28 as well. So young guys in, and still with rugby left ahead of them, I think it's really good to see this kind of thing happening. Brian Byrne is obviously there in Bristol now as well. He started two of the first three games since the restart and it's fantastic to see him fitting in there and, and getting game time that, you know, he probably just wouldn't have gotten Leinster. They, they looked elsewhere and they've got their own hookers. Um, Dan Sheen's the one who's come through to, to fill that spot. But I always think it's really good to see Irish guys go away and, and get a chance and hopefully that's what happens now with this this ex-Connacht pair. They get a, an opportunity just to show what they can do because... As you say, I think everyone else will be watching those big Bristol games as well. And and you never know what can, can lead on from this. 100%. We're going to move into the miscellaneous question section before I let you go, gents, because there were so many questions today, so many good ones as well. And apologies if I do miss yours. We just don't have time to get to them all. But I wanted to throw this one to you again. No mincing of words, but Mead's man in Europe, Bernard, asks, how can a small club like Rainey afford to hire a very recent ex-international as their backs coach, he or she is alluding, of course, to Ian McKinley, who has taken up a role there. Yeah, look, I think it's a brilliant, um, obviously, uh, boost for, for Rainey and, and, and the club and their players and, and for AIL. Um, I think people just jump to, to conclusions that there's a lot of money involved. Uh, you know, we don't know what um, what Ian wants to do the next step of his life. Is it, is it full-time coaching? Is it... Uh, combine it with a, with a job is there you know a family reason why um, he's moving to that part of the country and I, and I just think um, you know rather than have a conspiracy theorist uh, mindset to it just wait till he comes back and he, and, and uh, he chats about it uh, maybe you know he went to Italy uh, to do some coaching um, before he got back playing before obviously the world will be changed the, the rules around the goggles uh, just because he wanted to, to have the experience of that and uh, um yeah, I think it's not a professional, obviously, contract. He's obviously just looking to get experience and must have some kind of connection with the other coaches there or is going to be back in that, that region for, for other reasons. And, uh, yeah, full credit to him. It's going to be exciting to see the impact he has. I know Connor Shea um, on the record and, and uh, had said it to me a couple of years ago that if there was one player in Italy that he'd worked with that he thought would be an outstanding coach, it was, it was Ian. So that's... Um, that's a pretty good reference, and uh, it'd be really exciting if he was able to uh, to develop in Rainey and and get get back into the, the pro game here as a coach. So, looking forward to seeing his development. Lovely stuff, Murray. Uh, there are three questions from front row rugby, but I'm just going to ask you one due to time constraints. Um, he asks, I'm going to say he this time. Is the six-two split too negative? 
for Pro 14 Rugby. And can I also just apologise to Meath Man in Europe? For some reason I said afterwards, he or she, even though clearly it says Meath Man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but is the 6-2 split too negative, do you think? Um, too negative? I, I don't know. Like, are forwards negative? I, I think it depends on how you <laughs> want to play the game. Like, forward play is not negative in my mind. And being able to freshen up your bench, uh, freshen up your starting pack has been shown to have a massive positive impact on the game South Africa being the f- primary example most recently where in the World Cup it was a huge part of their game plan that bomb squad that Snyman was part of made hugely positive impacts on games and, and really shifted momentum up a gear England have done it more recently you've seen and, and Leo Cullen referenced both of those when um, when discussing it before the game obviously you can put yourself in a tricky situation and we, and we saw it didn't we there was players all over the place um, out of position Max Deegan before the game I was actually saying I think he could be a good back I think he has the skill set to do it and he and he ended up on the right wing um, and it's funny again this week I heard Eddie Jones talking about he was on um, uh, James Haskell's podcast he was talking again about hybrid players and he think that's the, the, the game of the future and I think uh, Deegan definitely could be one of those um, so no I don't I don't think a 6-2 bench split is, is negative I think it's depending on how you see a particular game going and and whether you want to take you know arguably it's 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 risky it's actually a a, a pretty risky maneuver because if you get those backline injuries um then you're then you're in trouble and and Leinster probably uh, found that out the, uh, it worked the other way with Munster they probably needed an extra four because Rory Scannell though he uh, really filled in well I think um I think his future still lies in in the backline <laughs> Yeah, thanks for the questions. Front row rugby. I, I still, I, I have a feeling front row rugby might actually be a front for Andy Dunn. I think it might be Andy Dunn in disguise. <laughs> uh, one last question. I'll throw it to yourself, Bernard, before we let you go from Sports Strategy Ireland, uh, and they asked: Given so many young players are coming through, is it worth bringing back the Ireland Wolfhounds uh, tours and fixtures to give these players more international exposure? I haven't really thought of the Wolfhounds in a while myself. I have to say. Yeah, um, I think whatever chance there was of that happening um, pre-COVID, I think it's going to be you know far from um, from IRFU's policymakers' uh, minds for a while. But definitely any exposure. I mean, um, it is they obviously get game time uh, for the provinces on a pretty regular basis, given um, given I suppose the fact that we only have four teams and. and during international periods, the competition uh, continues. But yeah, I think representative honours um, for some of the young players when they pass out of under twenties, and an opportunity for you know Andy Farrell to see them in a different environment um, is positive for the development. But I, I would say it's a little while off um, until international travel and um, green lists, etc. Um, you know, be, become um, yeah, be, be, get back to where we where they were, but. It definitely is a, a valuable experience for, for young players in terms of getting themselves ready for international rugby. Super job. Gentlemen, thanks a million as always. Thanks, Bernard. Thank you. Thank you, Murray. Great to have you back, Gav. Really enjoyed that. I'll, I'll uh, chat to you after about your sources. Um, but uh, good to have you back. <laughs> Poor McCabe. I'm hanging him out to dry here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, and to everybody who asked questions as well, there were just so many on Twitter. Again, sorry that I didn't get around to all of them. But thank you so much for sending them our way. We always appreciate the listeners' kind of engagement and involvement in the show as well. Um, it, it makes my job a hell of a lot easier, if it, even if it might not uh, sound like it. Uh, members.the42.ie, if you sign up there, there are extra rugby podcasts with Murray and Owen Toolan. Uh, one of them was done on Monday, and it's a fascinating listen as well. If uh, I'm allowed to say it, I think, because I wasn't involved in it. Uh, but until Monday, if you are the 42 member, or until next Thursday, go easy in the meantime, and mind yourselves. Take care. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it is coming on! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh! Oh!